Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Thank you, Eddie. It certainly is that time of the week where myself, Ollie Geel, and of course, Mark Schwarzer, we sit down, we try a beautiful bottle of red wine. Well, I say beautiful bottle sometimes, knowing Mark's four euro budget, it can be a little uh, questionable. Uh, but we like to talk about the wine, dissect it, and talk all things football. Then at the end of the episode, we will compare that bottle of wine to a player past or present. Mark, before we get onto the wine, I, I've really got to ask, and some people might not know, you know, we, have, we like to have a a bit of a chat before the podcast. You know, we like to sit down and have a, just a natter, catch up. Your hat that you've got on. Yep. Um, is it, what is it? Is it the Bratz, Bratz Dolls or? The Shack. Okay. And what, and so. Have you never heard of the Shack? No. So it's, it's an Aussie, it was an Aussie uh, TV um, kind oh, of. Oh, yes. Yeah. But it was with real people, not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Animated. So that's them. That was them. So the story is I was playing um, in Australia with the Socceroos and the Shaq came to our hotel and did a little small piece with me. No. Um, on, on Like filmed it in, the, in one of the, the big auditorium rooms at the hotel. Oh, for their show? Right. For their show. Yep. And as a gift, they gave me a hat. And I've just had it ever since. And I just, I, actually, it's my garden. It's my hat that I wear out in the garden. When I'm outside doing jobs, working, all that sort of stuff, that's the hat I wear. So it's a bit grubby, a bit dirty, a bit I mean, sweaty. How long ago would you have got that? I would say it's probably around 13, 14 years old. That's, I mean, it's in incredible condition for, for it a is. hat that old. It is. It really is. So, Mark, uh, let's, let's chat wine and then we can chat football. I've got to say, uh, this week I'm very excited because uh, out of lockdown, uh, where I am, and go out straight away to you know try some wine have some nice food and what might i see second on the wine list now i will let you into a secret as well i tend to always get the second on the wine list because it's not the cheapest but it's also not too expensive do you know what i mean so it's like you can get get away with that in front of other people but but i i I agree like you know too often you go out to a place and it's just the prices are exorbitant. Oh, ridiculous. You, you can buy the same bottle of wine for, I know, I know they need to make their money and all that sort of stuff, but it's just ridiculous. It's right. embarrassing at times. Well, so yeah, I'm very much like that actually. Second, that you're, you're, you're doing well, mate. You're, really? You're actually, yeah, because I probably wouldn't even go second. No, no you wouldn't. Depends on where you are. Depends yeah. which restaurant you're at and yep. depends on the overall prices of the wine. Well, and the that's what be- kills me even more. The good thing is uh, this bottle of wine was great value because, of course, it was our good friends at First Drop Wines with Mother's Milk. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, you'll know that we were sent two bottles because of 
lockdown, you know, I received them but, but couldn't give Mark his. We've still got it. So in oh. a few weeks' time, we're going to actually be able to do an Our episode together, which is awesome, and we can have that wine. But I saw it on the menu and I thought, how good is this? So I got it, at the, you know, for dinner and I bought another bottle to take home nice. uh, for a bit of mother's milk. Brilliant. Very, very nice. Well, I've gone for a Kiwi wine. Pinot Noir, of course, my favourite. Now, Central... Kiwi flavoured or from New Zealand? No, it's a New Zealand flavour. Okay. New Zealand flavoured Kiwi wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a Kiwi doing. wine, New Zealand wine. Mudhouse Pinot Noir 2019 Central Ortego. So um, what can I say? It's a Pinot Noir. It's going to be a winner. Of course it is. Have you been uh, to New Zealand, Mark? I have, but like with most places I've been to, certainly when I was playing in my playing days, there were very few places I actually saw very much mm. of other than hotels and football pitches. Mm. So Good football pitch there though? It was... Where was it? It was wet. Mm. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure I was in Wellington, if I can remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and it was wet. Um, the pitch was fine. Um, yep. Yeah, it was good. Home of the Phoenix. It's like everywhere. You know, you play play on pitches where they play rugby anyway and rugby league and so forth. But yeah. Oh, would yeah, they yeah. have played rugby there? Yeah, I think there was a rugby rugby team that played on it more so than, than the football side. It was, it was an international, Australia against uh, New yeah. Zealand. But, uh, and we won, of course. It goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, this is from Bendigo, the sub-region of Bendigo, intense and powerful Pinot. So not your standard kind of easy, smooth Pinot. It's an intense and powerful one, full of bright red cherry and darker bramble fruit, layered with gentle notes of mocha and spice. Mocha. Interesting yep. addition. Yes. That's, we haven't had that before, I don't think. No, I don't think we have had mocha. I think no. that's why I caught my eye. Right, yeah, okay. And I'm assuming yeah. there is a Bendigo in, in New Zealand then, I guess, as well. There must be. Yeah. There must be. There you go. The learn Bendigo some, region. Learn something new every day, don't you, Mark? There you go. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Okay, so let's get stuck into the football. And to be honest, as most sort of, uh, I guess, Sunday afternoon, I like to sit back, have a sharp, and start to write the podcast, you know, write the, you know, the topics. Not write mm-hmm. the podcast. I could say this podcast is not scripted. Shambles <laughs> of a show. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, no, but you, 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 you know, watch the footy and you go, right, what are we going to talk about? This one wrote itself, Mark. It was uh, pretty straightforward. And I think there's a, there's a topic that I really want to dissect within an inch of its life because I don't know when we're going to have the opportunity to do so. But before we do that, we should talk about the FA Cup. Huge. It was the Schwarzer Cup. You couldn't lose. Um, and Leicester won. And I didn't lose. And you didn't lose, I was no. going to say. Yeah. Was, were you hoping for anyone in particular? Not or, really. Uh, no? Listen, there, there was the element of, you know, Chelsea, just the machine that they are and the, 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 the titles and trophies and silverware that they churn out or have churned out over years to Leicester being there four times previously. So that was their fifth time winning it for the first time in the history of the club. That was also very special. Um, you know, when I was at, when I was at uh, Middlesbrough, we won our first major trophy by winning the, uh, what, what is now the league, obviously the league yeah. cup, the Cullen cup. Um, it's a very, very special moment. And you could see by the, um, the raw emotion from all the Leicester City players, uh, the owner, um, absolutely overjoyed by the occasion. And, and what made it even more special in these, in these times is the fact that we're what, over 20, 22,000 people at the stadium and there was proper atmosphere, which was unbelievable. 
So a lot of great moments that you touched on there, Mark, and really I, I don't know where to begin. I think uh, from a Leicester point of view, I think let's stick with them because it was a pretty magical day. Yuri Tillerman's goal, will that be remembered solely on the goal itself, not about the storylines attached? Is it one of the great FA Cup final goals we've seen? If you take out the magic of it being Leicester, for example. Yeah, I, I think it's right up there. It's certainly a very special, yeah, magical FA Cup goal. In a final, the winning goal, the only goal, yeah, absolutely. The quality of it, yeah. the, the distance, um, the pace of it, yeah, it has to be, has to be. And then you add the little bits and pieces like first ever FA Cup win for Leicester City. Um, yeah, huge, absolutely monumental. And I, I have to say, I felt that I know statistically Chelsea had more possession, uh, more shots, I think, um, but not on target and than, than Leicester. However, I, th- I still felt that, that those st- stats can be deceiving. So mm-hmm. if you have loads of loads of possession, it, it, it's one thing, but what do you do with a ball when you have that ball? So are there more sideways, backwards, shots from distance? I mean, my, my, my mate, Rudiger, I don't know why he was shooting for the distance he was, certainly after the first attempt when it was miles and miles off off target. Late in the game, players, later in the game, players get <clears throat> a little bit panicky, a little bit hectic. I thought Chelsea overall was a little bit hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly didn't create as many chances that they, you kind of normally expect from Chelsea. I thought as much as uh, you know, Johnny Evans is a massive player for Leicester, he clearly wasn't fit. So him going off made all the difference for Leicester. And Chelsea struggled then once he went off. Um, Leicester have got some wonderful players in every position. The biggest challenge Leicester City have now is whether or not they can keep hold of these players. And I I know they've won the FA Cup, which is a major, major trophy. Then if they finish in the Champions League, it's still a great, great accomplishment. But there'll always be those players that, especially like a Tillemans, right? So where would his next destination be? The draw card of going to a next level club like a Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Barcelona, of course, I think supersedes a Leicester, but Leicester's the next of, the, of that bunch. So the question is for Leicester now is how do they become a club that is able to keep hold of these players? Well, I mean, their training facility, you know, that that, that must make a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. But then as a player, playing for Leicester City or playing for Manchester City, Mm. you know, what what is the bigger attraction or playing for Chelsea, Manchester United still in terms of, you can talk all day long about will Manchester United actually win anything this year? Maybe not. They may not win a thing. But... um, they could potentially, they're just a bigger club. They're the biggest club on the planet. So I can, I can see why someone like Atilamans would, sure, any player like that would pick a club like Manchester United over Leicester City. But if you take about purely results-based, uh, performance-based in the pitch, yes, Man United are higher on the table above, above Leicester. But Leicester certainly are more exciting, I think, at this time. Uh, in terms of the game, uh, the shots that Chelsea did have on target, oh, your man, Michael, he, he was big. There was a moment there where I thought he might have even done his he's shoulder. Always been, he's always been big. 
go on. No, but he's always been big. You know, yeah, that's yeah. been one of the things. No, no, listen, he, he was outstanding. Two, two moments in the game. Yeah. You mentioned the first one where he held his shoulder afterwards and you thought, mm, maybe, because sometimes that can happen, you know. Full stretch, dive, not done a lot in the game, split second, you mm. do everything to get it, and then the landing can cause a problem. But he, he maybe, maybe felt it a little bit, but then the adrenaline kicks in and then you kind of like forget about it a little bit so long as it's not too seriously too serious and then the second save so I, I, listen i think people have said the second save is absolutely world class the first save is world class so I, I i think both of them go hand in hand the first one was going to hit the inside of the post and the likelihood is once it hits the inside of the post is most likely if it doesn't bounce back out and hit him mostly will go in or may go tantalizing close across the face of the goal and then maybe someone will come and tap it in you never know but um yeah, both of them what wonderful saves. Both of them as important as the other, obviously, in sequence. So then uh, the other moment you touched on earlier that really summed up a, a fantastic day for them was, of course, seeing their owner coming onto the pitch and celebrating, and not just celebrating in terms of, oh, this is fantastic. The players loved him. And I think that we always would have seen that and, and the storyline with you know, his family and the horror, you know, horrible incident with... Um, with the helicopter, I think it still would have been a really great story to see that. But I think in light of recent weeks, it was pretty nice to see, wasn't it? An owner being that involved and that well-liked by the starting 11. It was something pretty special. Well, the, the entire family is very well-liked. So even prior to the disaster, there was always been a pretty close bond between the players and the owners. Um <clears throat> They've always had a very, very close relationship. They've always come to the change rooms, whether it's before the game, after the yeah, game. So what does both. that look like? Sorry, what's a close relationship? What does that, what does that mean? Well, there's quite a lot of players who have direct contact with him. Regular text messaging, WhatsApp, directly. They deal directly with him only when it comes to contract negotiations, good or bad yeah. thing, you know. They're, they're, there's a really close relationship. So, um, you know, the owner's inviting players to various events. That, that happens regularly. So... Um, then in the change rooms. So the discussions as well, the, the embracing of players was always very much there. They, they're just a very, very hands-on kind of owners, even though they live predominantly in Thailand. Um, but they, whenever they've been over in the UK, at Le- in Leicester, they are always really, really, really close to the team. It's got to be the model going forward, you'd think. Yes for- and no. I, I think it can work. It, can, it has to be a special type of person for it to work. And these guys, I think, get a pretty good balance between having a close relationship but also still keeping it close enough to being a professional relationship as well. Because, sure. you, you know, you've got to be careful that, that people don't overstep the mark. Familiarity, familiarity sets in, mm-hmm. and I think that's key. Um, and they're, they're, by the same token, they're also very, very... Um, I think set in the way that they do business. They're, they're very clued in about business and ultimately it's about business. Yes. They have a joy and a special relationship and a special bond with Leicester, the community and the players, but it is about the success of the club and about the success of the model. So then if we look at the other blue elephant in the room, uh, you can take your happy hat off and put your sad hat off. Uh, I actually don't, Touch your shack hat and let's <laughs> leave it on the head. Uh, Chelsea, they've now lost two FA Cup finals in a row to, to yep. Leicester and, uh, and Arsenal. Got to be there. Um, 
And then, of course, as well on the weekend, Chelsea women were thrashed 4-0 in the Champions yes. League final against Barcelona. So I ask you this, what is it about Chelsea as a system that seems to be at the moment that they are so dominant and they can be fantastic but can't get the job done in a final? Have they got the, the wobbles, the collie wobbles? Um, yeah, okay. If you look at the last 12 months, you're right. Two cup finals, FA Cup finals, and losing both of them. They've still got another cup final to go, which obviously is a far bigger one. Um, they've still got literally what... It's like Thomas Tuchel said after the game, that they have three cup finals to play, two league games and, 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 and obviously the Champions League final. All can be saved. All can be forgotten almost if they get the job done in these next three games. It's a big F. And it's remarkable how momentum can change, can swing after a very, very short period of time. Yeah. You know, and, and that seems to have happened. Even though they lost against Arsenal, I, I wasn't that concerned. Yes, it was a really bad goal to give away. And, you know, it's, they shot themselves in the foot. But the chance after chance that they created, they should have got a result. If not, still won the game against Arsenal. That didn't happen. So even after the end of all that said and done, I still wasn't as concerned about that result because the performance I thought was still there to a large degree. The worrying bit about the game against Leicester was you almost thought that Leicester would play like Chelsea did and they mm. seemed a bit on edge, a bit nervy. And that's what worries me. They didn't create enough. Um, <clears throat> you know, we've seen with, with Chelsea this season is they normally have to create quite a lot of chances to score goals. And that's continued on the weekend other than the fact that they didn't score any goals because they didn't create as many as they had in the past. So therefore, their ratio of, ex- of, of executing those chances yeah. wasn't being able to be met. And that, and that was part of the issue as well. So the worrying bit is how they've dropped off, how they've, they look like they are all of a sudden down in confidence massively. Um, and and that that worries me. So then, um, I, I'm fascinated to see what will happen uh, for you know what our opinion will be of Chelsea over the next couple of weeks. Because you look at Tuchel uh, ten days ago, and you're thinking, "Geez, he's done a seriously good job here." But now, mm. if they go ahead and stuff the FA Cup up, stuff the next couple of games up, and stuff. Champions League up, which to be fair, it's going to be a t- tough ask anyway. Yep. You're starting to think, "Oh, geez." <laughs> That's yeah. No, it turns in. It turns out to be a very, very nearly season, yeah. and and quite for one for Chelsea, it turns out to be from going from potentially being a bit of a nightmare of a season, making the change, turning around and going, wow, this could be a, a fantastic season, to now, whew, you know, if they lose the next three games or at least not reach the objective of finishing the Champions League plus lose the Champions League final, oh, it, it's, a, it's a massive setback and a big kick in the teeth for, for Chelsea. Um, yeah, ma- I mean, the pressure will be enormous on them. I mean, it becomes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm envisaging, I'm assuming Liverpool's going to win their game against Burnley. Yeah. So then it ends up being Chelsea on 67, I think it is. Then... Leicester on 66 and Liverpool on 66 yeah. with one game to play. I mean, what an end of the season that is. Good. You know, I mean, Leicester have Spurs at home. Yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea have, um, if you look at it, so if, 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 if Chelsea beat Leicester, if Chelsea beat Leicester on Tuesday, UK time, here in the UK on, on Tuesday night, 
They end up on 67 points. Leicester on 66. Liverpool then beat Burnley on, yep. on midweek as well. They end up on 66 with one game to play. Leicester have Tottenham at home. Chelsea are playing against Aston Villa away. And Liverpool are playing against Crystal Palace. I at mean, home. At home. Yeah. So I'm assuming Liverpool's going to beat Crystal Palace. And then it becomes in Chelsea's hands to stay in the in the, in the, in that box position then if they were to beat Leicester midweek. So that's how important that game is against Leicester. Enormous. Because then what actually happens is that last of the game of the season is in then Chelsea's hands. Because, mm. you know, if they don't win against uh, Leicester, that t- is taken out of their hands. Because I think, I, I believe it will be taken out of their hands because Liverpool will win against Burnley. Yeah. And of course, we'll have fans back as well. So that'll play an, an extra element. It will. It certainly will. So for, Le- for, for Chelsea, as well. yeah, for Chelsea, that's a great scenario to be at home against Leicester after the loss of the cup final. Hopefully they're angry, which they will be. Hopefully they'll... Chelsea fans. No. no, well, no, no, no. Chelsea players, you know, from losing, you know, losing that game angry in terms of the way they perform themselves. Not nothing against Leicester personally. It's just about the way that they perform, yeah. not to their, their maximum, nowhere near their maximum, feel that they've let that slip. Now they have to make sure they qualify for the Champions League at a very bare minimum. And then the Champions League final, obviously, is a final and anything can happen. So, Mark, I referenced earlier that uh, on the Sunday when, when looking at the podcast, you're thinking, right, what, what are we going to talk about? And there are a couple of things that just, it just wrote itself. And that was one of them. But this is a subject that just blew us away. We imme- I immediately went onto WhatsApp and you're online. Everyone I knew that I wanted to, to go, whoa, they're all online. Uh, of course, Liverpool taking on West Brom. It, hey, I looked at the time, you're thinking, well, this, I can't be bothered watching this. Not really. Yeah. You know, not if you've got anything else on. Uh, West Brom score. So you obviously didn't have anything else on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. You obviously freed up your whole Sunday so you can watch the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is true. Um, but then, of course, it is all about the last minute winner from the goalkeeper, Alisson. I think, um, I mean, where do we start? It's the first. Goalkeeper to score in the Premier League from a header, yep, which is pretty amazing. And then there's only a select few anyway that have scored. Talk to me about what you thought from a technique point of view, because it was technically a pretty epic header. Yeah, that, that was Jurgen Klopp's response, wasn't it, once the ball went in? There was that smile and then turning to his coaching staff like, how good a technique was that? Because it was up there with being a phenomenal header. Um, <clears throat> really, really was. And I, I was watching it and kind of was half watching as well. I was a bit like you, like, oh my God, this game's a bit boring. Liverpool are going to mess up here and going to miss this opportunity again. And you're just thinking that just sums up the way Liverpool have been this season with everything that's gone on for them, you know, on, on and off the pitch in terms of injuries and some of the performances and all that sorts of stuff. You thought, oh, this is just adding to it. Instead, up pops Allison. And half the time you're watching, you kind of go, oh, oh, I'll keep half an eye on here just in case once in a million that something may happen, a goalkeeper may be involved one way or another, or he'll foul someone. Um, and instead, they just don't pick him up. And I kind of understand it, because you just kind of go on, ah, goalkeeper's never scored a header before. There's no chance he's going to score. And what's a header? I, I just the, the shock, bewilderment of so many people on the football pitch at that time as well. You could see some of the West Brom players, like, almost like, Going, grabbing their head, just going and looking, had a double take to go, that was the goalkeeper, that was Allison. That can't be possible. 
you know so yeah amazing amazing goal I just don't understand though within I, I understand what you're saying you know if you're a West Brom defender you're thinking oh it's just the goalkeeper but he's still a professional footballer who is a massive guy as well yep, yep. huge imposing figure and a header you know take nothing away from the technique but it's a header headers are a header you know, I, say, could... I, I say that but you know they they set up there were players set up in zonal sort of positions so yep. it's not like they're completely disregarding him it's just that they're marking their zones mm-hmm. and what it is is Allison is there soon enough. And that's the thing about zonal marking for me, partial zonal, full zonal, that players can get the run on someone very, very easily. The delivery was brilliant as well. No one talks about the delivery. Everyone's talking about the header. The header happened because of the delivery, because of the whip and the pace of the delivery. Of course, you know, getting on the end of it is difficult and it is, it is the finer art of it. And, and, and Alison deserves all the credit in the world. But I, I tell you what, Alexander Arnold's delivery was phenomenal. So paint a picture for me, though, in terms of... Um, finger I get painting the, or a brush? Uh, watercolours okay. would be nice. Um, yeah. Finger painting, actually, might be your standard. <laughs> whoa, 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 what are you trying to say? No, just I think artistically, finger painting oh. might be your... See, see uh, you've underestimated me. No, right? but you're hands-on, you're a garden creep, you know. Yeah, you're, it doesn't uh, matter, mate. I'm a bit of a painter as well, you know. I've painted really? before. Yeah, my Donald Duck, mate, since proudly on my parents' wall. Donald Duck. Uh, so paint me a, a word picture, I should say. Uh, okay. That, that it didn't look like all instinct. It looked like he had clearly practiced it before. So what, from your experience, um, what... I don't think do you practice he practiced it. What are the drills? No, do you, I, do I don't anything? think he practiced it. The only difference I'd say is, this, this, this is the only thing about the goalkeeper of today, is that you do far more work now in terms of with the ball, at your feet, heading is a part of it. So you come outside your yard box, at times you've got to head the ball, you've got to chest it, you've got to play it with your feet. So there'll be sessions in, the, in, in training where he'll play as an outfield player and certainly would have played in his, in his, over his career as an outfield player at training. <clears throat> and that all comes into it. So there's no doubt he would have been at times in the game when they're playing small-sided game, he may run up and try and score a goal in his header, you know? Yeah. But for it to happen there and then at a vital time at, in a game, the winning goal to keep Liverpool's hopes alive to qualify for the Champions League with two games to rem- remaining, Ooh. that just that just obviously is the icing on the cake. And that's why you do all the work you do on the training field for those special moments. Certainly no one ever believed that Alisson would get on the end of it and had a, you know, score a header goal. But just goes to show, you know, goalkeepers can can do quite remarkable things and it doesn't always have to be just with your hands. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What, what, what's the feeling when you're in that tense situation and you're looking over at the manager kind of hovering between your box and halfway going, am I, am I going yeah. or am I not? Yeah. What's the feeling like when you get that sign where they go, yep, up you get. Do you, so, do you semi shit yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of, oh, gee, okay. <laughs> All I'm thinking of, geez, if we don't get the ball in, oh, man, it's a hell of a run back again for me. <laughs> Jesus. And they haven't moved for 90 minutes. <laughs> what a way that is. You don't think it looks that far on TV. I tell you what, it's having a proper sprint and certainly when yeah. the opposition's got the ball from the corner and you know you've got yeah. to hightail it out of there to try and get back in your own yard box to try and save a shot. Mate, by the time you get there, you need like 10 minutes to recover afterwards. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, there, there is a sense of, for me, certainly was a bit, bit nervous. I only did it a couple of times, not many, many times. Once I think the ball came in my vicinity but never really got onto it. Um, but yeah, there was a sense of excitement and a bit of nervousness when you went forward. You, but you would have been taller than 
the a lot. half. I a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah often the center half is around six two, six three, six four. Sometimes, yeah. And what, what are you? Taller. What are you? I'm six four. In? Yeah, six, six four. four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About my weight category. Yeah, yeah. My just, division. I, you see it happen, and and you, you, I just felt like, oh, that's amazing. But then it's, well, hang on, why doesn't this happen all the time? Like, yeah, because. Obviously, it's the time of the time of the the game and yeah. the significance of the game. So for Liverpool, their season—it's not their season that is over because they still want to qualify for a position in Europe. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that the, the the main goal is Champions League, and anything less is a setback for Liverpool. Yeah. So not tra- tra- qualifying for the Champions League is seen as a certainly a step down and and, and, a, and a bitter disappointment. So everything's on the line and that's when you do it. You see, often the most of the time you see it as cup games mm. or you see it when moments like this, there's everything on the line, only a handful of games left trying to stay in the race for winning the title. You'll see the opposition goalkeeper go up. That's, that's the moments you see it. Uh, did you like Jurgen Klopp's comments after when he said, oh, I remember back in Germany, uh, a player of mine, a goalkeeper scored uh, to equalise in the final minute, and then we were all celebrating in the yes. changing room. So, so an official came in and said, "Mate, you've got someone's name wrong on the game or the team sheet, so we're going to have to deduct points." No way. <laughs> it was a game in two thousand and four. Uh, goalkeeper in Germany, a guy called Jörg Butt, who was renowned penalty taker. He was playing for Bayer Leverkusen, and they were playing a big derby game against uh, Schalke uh, in the north of Germany. And uh, Leverkusen get a penalty. Jogbot goes up the end of the pitch, steps up, smashes the ball home, scores his penalty. The team is celebrating. As they make it back to the halfway line, Jogbot celebrating his team. Then he runs off a bit. And then I think the center half is still there. And he ends up celebrating with the center half. So he's about probably about 25 yards away from his 18-yard box. The problem is all of his teammates then stepped over the halfway line. Obviously, Schalke are aware of this. The referee blows play, like start, restart of play. Yeah. They take a quick start, chip him and score one all. <laughs> oh. It was unbelievable. So he scores, celebrates, doesn't even make it back to his own goal and they've scored to equalize. <laughs> so yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's got a sting. I tell you yeah. what though, if you, if you trust your goalkeepers to take a penalty, I actually watched a penalty shootout Chelsea... Oh, who they have been playing a few years ago and Courtois took a penalty. My, it went, I mean, when you think about it, the power you've got from a yep. goal, yep. you've got to trust that it's not going to go too high too early. That's the but, thing. Yeah. Some guys, listen, some guys, I, I've never taken one in a competitive game. I took one uh, when I was younger in my teens for like teams I was playing for in Australia. And I also took one in a testimonial in Scotland at Aberdeen and I missed <laughs> and we lost the game. It was a testimonial. It was a testimonial. So it wasn't, it was just to get a result on the who's, day. Whose game was it? Who's uh, it, it was Jim Layton, Jim okay. Layton's testimonial for Aberdeen. Um, it was, it was nice. It was a nice occasion, but yeah, that was my one and only taste of taking a penalty in that sort of situation. And oh, I just went, oh, I'm not doing this ever again unless I absolutely have to. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search The Gig and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The Gig and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Okay, halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds, Mark. Are you enjoying your wine? I'm sure you are. 
course I am. How's that mocha angle? How's that coming through? No, not tasting it. Really? Yeah, but it is a strong Pinot, I have to admit. Yeah, very, very heavy Pinot. Uh, For Pinots, as far as Pinot go, very, very nice bit of of, of oomph to it, Um, which is a little bit surprising because I normally, you know, uh, I I, I like my Pinots to be really nice and smooth. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's got a bit of... uh, a little bit of extra uh, oomph to it. And what made you go for it this time around? Was there a particular uh, reason? Just wanted uh, to try something Kiwi different. wine. They always make good Pinots. Um, kind of like the name Mudhouse. Yeah. yeah, I thought I'd give it a go. The Mudhouse. That'd be a good nickname for, you know, when you, you have a house and you go, yeah, come over to the Mudhouse. That'd be good. Well, kind of self-explanatory, really, isn't it? Mudhouse. Like, I think you're going to give it a nickname for something else other than No, no, house. no, no. Like, I call, you know, my, wherever I live, I call it the Oast House. Oast House. Yeah, the Oast House. Oast House. Yeah, you know where they dry hops and barley for, um, to oh, make beer? Yeah. yeah, no, no, I decided Mate, that. that's in your part of the world. That's I know, it is. It is. German. It's very prominent. Yeah, it's yeah, very prominent the there as well. Yeah, yeah. Would go. I be saying that right? O-A-S-T, Oast, Oast House? Um, Ost, Ost House. Ost, Ost I would have thought. Yeah, I feel done. I feel silly now. Hey, speaking of um, Germany, or so, at least someone who's played in Germany. Yeah. Um, again, shocking timing in terms of it would have been great to have been able to talk about this in the podcast when it happened. But our man, friend of the show, Mitchy Langerak, um, yeah. doesn't want to play for Socceroos anymore. What's? It was a bit weird because. Only about two weeks before that, you were saying, right, if there was a game tomorrow, he'd definitely be starting. And John Aloisi said on Optus Sport, um, I actually think, was it the Gagan pod- podcast? I think he may have, that he was really, really surprised. And he'd be very, very surprised if the conversation that he had with Graham Arnold didn't lead him to making that decision. Really? What? Yeah. Why? I don't, I don't get it. In I terms don't... of saying that, I mean, what, what Johnny meant, what Johnny said was that if, if, you know, the games are on, obviously pandemic, being away from your family, particularly in Japan, must be really difficult in terms of when I say particularly in Japan, that you are isolated by yourself. Language culture is very, very different. Sure. Um, and if he's not going to play or there's no guarantees that he's going to play, and a difficult one because when, as a manager, I can only imagine if a player comes to you and says, well, I'm only going to come I'm not saying this is what Mitch said, but if a player hypothetically comes to you and says, I'm only going to come if I'm going to play, that's a hard one. And as a manager, I, I don't know, I would probably be thinking, do I really want to hear that from my player? Mm. I'm only coming if I play. Um, but I understand Mitch's situation if that were to be the case. But he's so young to be sort of retiring from it completely. That's when... the reason why people ask all these other questions is yeah. that that's why you jump to conclusions potentially and say, well, hang on a second. If he's, put, he's in the best form of his life yeah. um, and he has a genuine opportunity to be the number one for the national team, maybe someone said to him, no, you're not necessarily going to be a shoe in And maybe he's the sort, what's the point? If I'm never going to make, if I'm not going to be number one now, I'll never be in the form that I've been in. That that could be the the scenario. I don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Um, on the same on 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 by the same token, he may be going. Listen, I haven't been anywhere for over a year because of the pandemic. I am 
it's coincided with me being in the best form of my life mm-hmm. because I haven't traveled anywhere, haven't been anywhere. I'm with my family. I'm loving life. Why do I want to change it? Mm. What has to change is, what's going to change is, I'm going to get called up for the national team because he would have been called up for the national team and I'm going to go. And I may not play. And you know what? I am where I am because I haven't been traveling anywhere and I'm happy where I am. So I'm going to actually to prolong my career, to stay where I am, to hopefully continue to play as well as I am, I'm going to retire from the national team. So then what happens if his form continues, he gets a, a job back in Europe at a really, really high, you know, top flight side and continues that same form? Mm. Is he then just, and then does he it's still just say, go, just because, oh, stuff it. Yeah, but just because you retire doesn't mean you can't no. come out of retirement. Yeah. Um, and if that were to happen, I mean, I think that's a long shot. Um, not many guys kind of go Europe to Asia back again. Yeah. More established players may um, spend yeah. a couple of time in Asia. You know, I've seen it the Chinese league that some of the guys have left, gone over there, spent a year or two there, and come back again. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I just don't see Mitch doing that. It just seems to have pl- found. He seems to have found his league, his cut, his, yeah. his his club. He seems to be at his happiest. He's in the best run of his form, the most consistent run of games. And that's something that he'd really struggled with beforehand. Wherever he's been, he struggled for game time consistently. Now he's got it. So I can imagine he's just loving it. He's loving everything about life, everything about football. Yeah. He probably doesn't want to change anything, which no. I, I, I understand. And, and, you know, I, I don't know him, but what I will say, when he came on the show, he seemed like a very happy young man, didn't he? Like just, oh, no, he's, a, he's a very positive guy and he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a good guy, a really hard worker. You know, listen, he's, he's done it tough leaving when you're in, in your teens, early teens going overseas, um, cutthroat industry in the Bundesliga, making his debut in the, in, sorry, in, at Dortmund under those extreme circumstances. A lot, a lot of pressure, being the number two and then not really getting opportunities, trying, going out, doing really well at Stuttgart for the first season. And then they get promoted and they bring someone else in and he loses his spot. Then he ends up being shipped out. So it's, it's, it's a hard one, you know, really, really tough. It's a tough life when you, when you don't get a chance to be a regular number one somewhere. So you end up going to wherever you can to find your place and your position, a club, a manager that believes and trusts in you. And he's certainly got that where he is now in Japan. I was having a look at the Bundesliga table, Mark. What's going on with Dortmund? Out of nowhere, third spot. I mean, yeah. I think the last time we, we were talking, they were well out of Europa. I think they were, well, not well out, but they were at least, you know, four they or five They seem points. to be certainly faulting, faltering and looking very much in danger of missing out on, on, on a European place, certainly Champions League place, which is crucial for Dortmund. Uh, their model, I mean, it's crucial for everyone, really. Any, any of the teams, any of the big teams, high budget, um, <clears throat> the way that their, their, their model is structured, um, Dortmund in producing young talent, selling one or two players every year or two years um, and balancing the books. Obviously the pandemic's hit and they've had a really, really, it's a bit had a knock on effect, of course, like with yes. so many, but I have to say, you know, the, the question always was, you know, they, they, they sacked the manager, um, Favre, and then they brought in the interim manager in, in uh, Edin Terzic. So he had, he's had some experience. Uh, he was Slavon Bilic's assistant manager at West Ham and I think at West Brom as well, possibly. Anyway, got an opportunity to take over as interim ma- manager of Borussia Dortmund. He's, a, he's actually a mad Borussia Dortmund fan as well. 
so he's credit history really like a legacy you know they've won the german cup they beat they beat leipzig last week won the german cup and now they've assured themselves in a champions league position which is pretty remarkable and uh, you know you can't go unnoticed because they've done an amazing job they really have and of course uh last week though speaking of amazing jobs we got to talk about your man Lewandowski. He scored mm. again, so he's on 40 goals now, I believe. So he needs the one more. He's on 50 goals in all comps, as including national team games. And it probably would have been more had there been more games in that international break. I mean, I struggle to do that in career mode on FIFA, you know, yeah. let alone in real life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that? So he's, he's equaled the, the Bundesliga record and he's one more. 40 in one season so and it, far. Have we got one more game or two more We've games? We've got one more game. One more. One more game. He'll do it. Um, of course he will. Penalty. I've last got mixed minute. feelings about it. I've got. I really do. I've got such mixed feelings about. It. Listen, they should win, and they should win reasonably comfortably. They're playing Augsburg last game of the season. Um, Augsburg are assured Bundesliga safety by their win uh, last last weekend, so they're they're definitely in. Um, there's a bit of a fight for the last remaining survival, outright survival p- position. And it's between Arminia Bielefeld, Werder Bremen, and Cologne, or FC Cologne. And Some big sides there. Yeah, one of those teams is going to go directly down because yeah. in Germany we have third bottom plays in a playoff, which I love. It's so brilliant. Um, <clears throat> so one of those teams is going directly down into the second Bundesliga, and one of those teams is going to end up in the playoff position. So big clubs. I mean, if, Cologne has a bit, been a bit of a yo-yo club. Uh, well, has been a yo-yo club over the years. Bielefeld haven't been in the Bundesliga for, for, for a number of years. Uh, Werder Bremen is the big one. And they, mm. did, they did play on, or did, they, did, they did sort of, uh, sort of uh, dip their feet a little bit in a relegation battle last season. They were in severe pressure last season. They managed to get themselves out of it, but they obviously haven't learned. Um, and they find themselves in a dreadful position. Really, they do. Um, so... I wouldn't be surprised. And I, and I kind of want to see, I actually want to see Werder Bremen go down and I want to see uh, Arminia Bielefeld stay up because I just think they got, they've got too much wrong, Werder Bremen, for too long now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florian Corfield is the manager. He kept his job from last season. Thought he'd lost the, 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 the not the change room, but I thought, he, I thought it was beyond him. Mm-hmm. Managed to turn it around a little bit last season, like I said, but this season it's continued. And yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I'd like to see Bielefeld stay up. Uh, you're ro- romantic at heart when it comes to football. Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you can be realistic and just I know. be harsh. I know. But sometimes you can, so, you know. so to answer that first question as well, Lewandowski. Yes, why is that going to make you sad? Is it because it's the changing of the guard almost? Yeah, that's Gert Muller. Yeah. Absolute legende of the game. Legende. The, um, the legend. Yeah. But he's like, you know, the, 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 I suppose... What makes it special? He is a, a Bayern Munich legend, German legend, of course, Germany legend. Lewandowski is a Bayern Munich legend. So if, if somebody's going to take over that, that, that position, that, that, that honour, then it has to be Robert Lewandowski because he's been phenomenal. And not, not only, it's not even a, you know, he's every season he's been phenomenal. Yeah. I think that that must make a difference because if you think about, you know, if you just had some chancer from Leipzig have an unbelievable yeah. season, you know, and break it and then we never see him ever again, 
that'd be that, different. That would be, yeah. That, see, yeah, someone sort of did it as a one-off, wasn't that necessarily consistent. But someone like Lewandowski, who's just been relentless, a goal machine, um, had it not been for Ronaldo and, and Messi, mm-hmm. probably would have won a few more awards, should have won the Ballon d'Or last year. But yep. You're, you're still petitioning over that, aren't you? Yeah, but it's just ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. I don't, I don't get it. I, I honestly don't understand it. He should have, he should have been a shoe in it, winning it. And that's maybe why they didn't want to do it because, gosh, we can't give it to anyone else other than Cristiano or or or, yeah. or, or, or it does Lionel feel like that, doesn't it? And they may be upset if we do give it to someone else, or both of them won't show up if they both know they're not winning it. Yeah, because <laughs> that never happens, does it? That, that never <laughs> happens. The three of them in the final three, and one of them doesn't show up. Paul. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. can't make it tonight because he didn't win. So good. Uh, goal machines, Mark, as well, on the weekends in Spain. Luis Suarez uh, has all but oh, yeah. won Atletico Madrid. I mean, all, I say all but won because Real Madrid won on the weekend as well. So I think yes. he's still in the hunt. Um, yeah, they but, are. But they are. It's a, two, yeah. it's a two-horse race now. So the great thing about it is uh, there's a couple of stories there. And, and, and there's one that I love is that uh, Luis Suarez, the story coming out is that, you know, he was told by 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 uh, Barcelona. He wasn't good enough to play in La Liga anymore. He was past it and all that sorts of stuff. And I've been told that. And not directly told that, but I was, it, was, it was suggested. Wow. And big reason why I left Middlesbrough because apparently I wasn't good enough anymore to play in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the Premier League, which was great. Um, or certainly weren't able to, to last long enough in the Premier League or do it week in, week out in the Premier League. So that was, you know, it's always nice when you prove people wrong. Um, so, yeah, he's proving people wrong. I mean, he's leading goal scorer in La Liga. He's been phenomenal um, to so many degree. I thought he was poor in the Champions League when they played Liverpool. Really, really poor. Uh, he looked, it actually looked like it was beyond him. Yeah. Um, certainly on his performance on the, on the, on the, on the night. It was beyond him. But uh, to see him rub it back in people's faces, particularly at Barcelona, Barcelona are now out of the race. They lost on the, they lost on the weekend, which was a disaster for them. The whole messy saga, circus, what's going to happen? Will, um, um, uh, what's his name? Ronald Koeman keep his job. Yeah. Um, all the other stuff that's going off on off the pitch, financial disaster at Barcelona. And still in the Super League, hopeful that they will be able to bail them out because that's the only reason really they want to be in the Super League is because they want to monopolise and bail themselves out of the, the predicament they find themselves in being so badly managed. Um, and Real Madrid obviously are still in it. So I, I don't know why. I was, I was, I was finding myself... I, I do know why. I, I was wanting Real Madrid to win. And I kind of, in Spain, support Real Madrid a little bit. Right. And, okay. and maybe because... I'm, I was trying to think why. And over the years, Bodo Ilgner, goalkeeper, German national team goalkeeper, played for Real Madrid. Then there was like the story of David Beckham going there. He was signed because he sold shirts and everything else. Capello then basically pushed him to the side and then they brought him back in and he won, helped them win the league. Is a big reason why they won the league. He was so important to them. So he proved them wrong. Um, Jonathan Woodgate, who my teammate at Middlesbrough, was playing for him. Um, now, Eden Hazard, Thibaut Courtois are there. So there was always that little bit of a something there was a connection for me. So I always were happy and wanted Real Madrid to do well. Plus my father-in-law supports them. Okay. So he's indoctrinated me. That's a very good example of being indoctrinated to a degree as well. So I've been indoctrinated over the last 25 years by my father-in-law, who's a Real Madrid fan. As an adult as well, though, which is even Absolutely. more impressive. Well, you, know, you respect your elders. Kind of got to just be subservient a little bit there in that regard. Um, 
But now I want Atletico Madrid to win. Yeah. Um, the underdog, what they've done, how they've built themselves up. Even though I hate playing against them because they beat me every time. Well, one draw and two losses against them. Yeah, that's another story. That's a sore point. Let's not go there. Yeah, well, but Kieran Trippier is really there. You really went inside yourself then. I know. Kieran oh. Trippier is there. He's a good, yeah. good guy. He's done really, really well. Suarez, you know, telling a new story, proving the doubt is wrong. And they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world there as well. So I'm happy enough for that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think with that Suarez story, that the key bit that is is so funny is that, am I right in saying they said at 30, at, you know, 33 years of age, you're too slow, but now it's rumoured that they want to sign Aguero on a two-year contract who's also 33. Yeah. So if that transpired, you're thinking, you're looking at Barcelona going, mate, what is going on? Yeah, that's the thing. And that's where that sort of, those sort of comments come back to bite you on the backside. And, and what the, the problem with that is it's just there's a, there's a certain amount of arrogance, um, throwaway comment, thinking not much about it. And that's as a player, I've had those experiences as well, where you feel the most disappointed with clubs. Just be honest. Yeah. You know, just be a little bit more honest and a little bit more constructive with your reasoning rather than go where, who we are, and we can say whatever we want and discard you however we like. And that's the real disappointing bit in, at times for, for footballers. Mark, it's time we put a, a cork in this episode. Or in my, uh, in my conversation, you mean? You've yeah. enough of me. You want to put a cork in me? Because you've heard too exactly. much now. I was starting to look out the window like you were when you saw those woodpeckers. Yeah, two woodpeckers, right? I, I actually have not. I, you know what? I laughed at the time because it felt funny, but I've never seen a woodpecker, so I would have oh. been very excited. They're, they're, it's great to see. You know, see, I'm, I'm in touch with nature. You need to be more in touch with nature. Mate, I'm loads back in touch to Hobart. with nature. I Get went. back to Hobart. Get yeah. yourself out in the wilderness a little bit. Yep. Find your, find your, your place in nature again and then start again. Readjust. Yep. I don't think I ever had a place in nature. I think that's no, my problem. Probably not. Other than behind a tree. With your yeah. Down your ankles. <laughs> yeah, while, while, while the Tassie Devils are screaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, you're a Tassie Devil believer. Oh, sorry, Tasmanian Tiger believer? Do you no, still believe they exist or what? Oh, crap. No, yeah, ridiculous. The thylacine. Yeah. Bloody yeah. The last one I saw that made, oh, nearly wet myself laughing was this bloke going, yep, we've got these photos, 100% thylacine. And then he's walking around and then just takes a sip of beer. And it's about 7 a.m. And you're going, yep. mate, if you're going to do one of these videos, I'm not going to trust someone who's drinking at 7 yeah, a.m. See, what you got, Come on, what buddy. you didn't see was that it's a carry-on through the night. It's been an all-nighter. Yeah. So he started at 7 in the evening the night before. Oh, I see. So that's and just, he's just an all night. Yeah, it's his, yes. his all-nighter, yeah? Yeah, last all drinks. Right. Lights have come on. Oh, shit. Who am I with? Oh, Jesus. I <laughs> right. you well, in, in that case, I'll, I'll trust Reg from Devonport. Yes, uh, I think you should. Thylacine findings. Uh, now, thoroughly enjoyed my read today. Of course, I went for First Drops Wine, uh, the Mother's Milk. Um, we will be having a bottle of this Mother's Milk in, I reckon, three weeks, which is very exciting when I'm back in, in England. Um, mm. I'm a bit nervous to see you. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I can imagine. It's, yeah, it's a homecoming. It's finally delivering on that bottle of red wine that you've yeah. got hidden away and that you won't. You keep saying that you thought you'd lost it, left it behind weren't quite sure. And now all of a sudden it's appeared. Well, it's been aging really, you know, <laughs> not much, but it has been, so, you know, it'll be better. So that's good. So no, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was a huge shock when I saw it because I thought in what world is, you know, one of those, um, you know, reds that, that we've had on the show from Adelaide going to be doing in Bermuda 
it uh, blew me away. So it was a huge surprise, a real treat, and got me very excited for what's to come. So I think I think for me, when I I'll go first here in comparing uh, the bottle of wine to a player, I think I'm going to step away from the tastes and look at more of the emotions and feelings uh, I had when I had the wine. And one was surprise. It was surprise. Um, the first time I had it, how good it was. I thought, oh, how good is this? But it was surprised that I found it. And I was, you know, it blew me away. But then I was excited for the future because I knew we were, were going to be trying it. But I've been so excited for this player's future because there was a pass on the weekend that I was just absolutely blown away with. And so not only has he surprised me in his development, but his future is so exciting. But it's also... He's a very classy player, and this is a very classy red, right down from its smooth and silky tone and texture, but also the, the, the bottle um, logo itself. And I'm going to go for Leeds United's Calvin Phillips. Okay. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah, I Happy get with that. that? Yeah, he's yeah. Been, yeah, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? He's a that, player. That uh, pass to mm. assist. Yes. Oh. Absolutely amazing. Unreal. Well... Mine is a Mudhouse Pinot Noir 2019 Central Otago. And there's a couple of things that there's two key elements of this that have really stood out to me. An intense and powerful Pinot Noir. This player is certainly intense. Annoys the hell out of me at times. Annoyed the hell out of me as a player when I played against him. Busy. All over you. Continuously complaining, trying to gain an advantage at all costs. Mm-hmm. certainly powerful um, ran all game absolutely lethal in front of goal and um, and also finely balanced tannin acidity so it's a balanced pinot which they mostly are this guy his balance was impeccable his record his goal scoring record at Liverpool was pretty insane um, very very close to winning the Premier League title and the game I'm referring to in terms of how he annoyed out of me was the game against Liverpool when I was playing for Chelsea and we beat them 2-0 and they effectively lost. Well, it put a massive halt on them winning the Premier League title at that time. Um, so 2013-14 season. And uh, this player then left Liverpool and went on to Barcelona and became a phenomenal sensation. Powerful and intense. I'll keep using those words. Balanced. By his goal scoring record, his combination play with Messi helps when you're one of his best mates or became one of his best mates. I'm not quite sure. Um, but yeah, and now he's still going on and he's still proving the critics wrong and he's still as incredibly intense as, as, as before and certainly powerful, maybe not as quick, apparently according to Barcelona, um, but he's certainly up there and his goal scoring record again this season in La Liga is pretty impressive. And he's on the verge of in rubbing it so far and so deeply in the faces of Barcelona by winning La Liga title with Atletico de Madrid. So I have to give it to Luis Suarez. Yeah, no, good one that. And I'll tell you what, that season for Liverpool, he was a freak, wasn't he? He oh. was, he was very, very good. Yes. So the only thing that missed out, the only thing that was missing from him being at Liverpool was winning something, delivering yeah. the Premier League title. That's the thing that missed, they were missing. Yeah. And then he would have been a true legend of the club. Whereas, you know, these guys who won the Premier League title will probably be seen as more of a legend than Luis Suarez. Yeah, definitely. But to a large degree, which, which you could understand why. Mark, thank you for another thoroughly enjoyable Monday. You know, it's not about the podcast anymore. It's just what gets me up, you know, to start the week. I love it. Listen, why I'm not surprised. 
you know, when you said that it's been a pleasure. Of course, it's been your pleasure. It's yeah, always been your pleasure every yeah. week. Now, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you face to face for a change. Um, and obviously, restrictions have been lifted, still some in place, but not too many. Um, Can you eat inside now? I believe. As, as of, of today. today. Yeah. As of today. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've been eating inside the whole time around. I don't know what everyone else has been doing, but I've been eating the whole way through lockdown. I've been eating inside. Really? Oh, the odd occasion I've eaten outside, but the most of the time it's been inside. So I don't know what people are on about. Ridiculous. Mark, thank you again. We'll see you next week on the Two Shot Breads. I can't wait. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.